every week, multiple times a week, and according to some people, too many times a week, I produce content on Patreon. Every week, patrons vote on what they want to watch next. Then we watch it. And while it's playing, I'm talking through it. I'm pausing it and pointing out what works and what doesn't, what narrative things are there, what tropes, what plans, what characters, what the arc looks like, when it's going really well, when it's not going well. I'm calling out the, the big gold star stuff. I'm finding the joy in it. I'm pointing out spots where maybe it's not the best technically constructed stuff, but it's effective. I'm enjoying it. I'm talking about it. I'm breaking it down. My goal every time, whether we're watching, you know, the menu or King Kong or Star Trek three or who knows what my goal is to show writers how they can use the tools we see all around us, the media we consume all the time to teach themselves how to be better writers. Look, here's how you make a character arc. Do it like this. Here, you're writing a horror movie. Pay attention to these things. Hey, you're writing a romance. Go over here. Check this out. And there are three files every week. An intro sets up what we're going to be talking about, gives a little bit of background on what we're talking about. Not very long. Sometimes very detailed, but usually pretty generalized in its content. Then, the commentary on the thing itself. We watch right along with it. You pop the, the video on one thing and watch it and put me in the background, and there I am talking you right through it. Maybe it's long. Maybe it's two hours, three hours, multiple files, numbered pieces, anywhere in between. But the goal is... We watch this movie together. And then third, a wrap-up, a file that talks about what we just watched, what works, what doesn't, the critical things that you need to know or remember or take away from it. And sometimes, if it's not really working and it's been really bad, we take a shot at rewriting it, remaking it into a better thing using the pieces it gives us. How would we reshape this? Not just how would we rewrite this in order to make ourselves laugh more or, you know, let's totally throw everything out the window and, and make a new thing. No, we use the pieces that are there. We use the tool we talk about in the intro. We use ideas that we've seen elsewhere and we piece things together. What I have for you today is the wrap-up I did for the movie last week. Last week, we saw The Menu. It's streaming for free on HBO Max. Uh, but here's the wrap-up for The Menu. I'm offering this to you today to see if you like it. If you do uh, and you want to see more like this or hear more about this, it's patreon.com slash John helps you write better. Okay, this is the wrap-up for The Menu. It's going to start after the sound effect. And I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Well, I guess I have to start it like this. A few minutes ago, we just finished watching the menu. And this is the wrap-up to the menu. And it's not going to be like the other wrap-ups. I'm going to go in a different direction. Give and take. These are two fundamental ends of a spectrum, part of a transaction that anyone productive engages in. And I don't mean productive in that like tech bro competitive way where it's like, look how much I get done versus how much you get done, mere mortal. I am 10x more productive than you as if everything has to be a game show or, a, a, or commodified for reasons, passing understanding. I mean, give and take in the productive sense, like you make a thing and somebody else receives it. 
I record things, you write things, somebody else films things or paints things or offers uh, an experience for things or, you know, sells socks or makes a scarf or, you know, holds your hand for money or cuddles with you or walks your dog at work or something. Give and take. These are two fundamental elements that are woven into an unspoken contract between people. We give, somebody takes. I write a thing and I give it out. Maybe not for free, maybe not simply, but eventually then someone comes along and takes. Maybe not for free, maybe not simply, but it happens. And understanding this transaction, understanding this setup, is critical to understanding the menu, which I think is my second favorite film of the year, next to everywhere, every, everything everywhere, all at once. I think these two films speak to a level and craft of writing and development in ways I didn't think I would be thinking about writing and development and idea and production but for two wildly different reasons. Everything, everywhere, all at once, let me be imaginative and show me like, oh, look, look at how we can handle a complicated physics problem while also telling a heartfelt story, while also blending it all together in this weird, strange science fiction love story kind of thing. And the menu causes us to be reflective. It holds a mirror, as all good satire does. It holds a mirror to us, and we might not always like what we see, but part of the confrontation is critical to understanding truth, because give and take is truth. I give and you take. I produce and you receive. These are essentially the same thing. But you can easily swap cooking with Julian Slowick for writing, for sex work, for painting, for ballet, for anything someone creates. And your restaurant, your people, could be anything from your Patreon patrons to your newsletter readers, to your two friends, to your audience you sell on on. Amazon too, to the people over there who watch your video, or anything and everywhere, all at once, in between. This movie blew my mind, because from minute one all the way to an hour and 40 minutes later, this movie presented us layers where we have to look at ourselves. And understanding the give and take of things is the decoder ring for this story. Now, it's presented with a chef, and the chef always speaks in layered pretense. Yeah, he's totally giving you fancy chef table vibes, but at the same time, he's a villain who's sad. He's got tears in his eyes the entire time. Is that because you, he wants to, you know, he's coming to a reckoning, he's coming to a culmination, and he knows it has to end badly? Or is it because he's genuinely sad and doesn't want to be doing this? Because one of the things that you have to understand with give 
and take is that when there is an imbalance in this relationship, the taking gets to be too much or the giving gets to be too much, resentment grows. And as resentment grows, you step away from producing with love to produce with obsession. That's the other theme of this story. And that's one of those things that we say to people in and around cooking, in and around writing. And it's really abstract because it's not like love is uh, communicable through like a bodily fluid. It's not like here's two ounces of the love extracted from my liver or something. It's, it's not that. It's a feeling impressed upon your creation through not just the technique, but also the care and the skill and the choices you make. It isn't just, you don't show that you love your story or you love your audience because you wrote a scene where a bear runs across a field or that, oh my God, I have this cute scene that I had someone, you know, make art for and oh my God, it's the best. That's, that's not love. That's, that's not how you do that. To, to put love into your work is to give without disruption of ego without this sense of like, look how good this is. Look how good this is. And instead it's just, I made this and I think it's great. And sometimes it's a very fancy meal with a piece of raw seafood on a rock. And other times it's a gorgeous, juicy cheeseburger with crinkle cut fries, which arguably, well, honestly are the best kind of fry, but we'll, we'll fight that out one day. The important thing here is that love is transmittable within this transaction of give and take, but it has to be present on both sides. It's not enough to just love the technical and love the the doing of it. It's love through that and more. It's also love of what you're saying, love of what you're making, love of what you're cooking, and wanting genuinely to please and reach someone through that. Did you know the only time uh, uh, Chef smiles in the movie is when he's cooking the cheeseburger? And yes, that references back to the photo found in his house where he was last happy cooking a cheeseburger. But it's more than that because in those moments, he doesn't have to be pretentious chef anymore. He doesn't have to deal with the critic who put him on the map or the bullshit with the tech bros or anything else. And we're going to talk about all those things. But it comes down to, I am going to give this person what they want, how they want it, and it's going to help them, nourish them, satisfy them, fill them, whatever it is. So I am going to use my skill to make this thing, to give them this thing, and I know they're going to appreciate it. Again, when give and take are out of whack, you get resentment. And you, as a giver, as a maker of stuff, have to be able to know with certainty that your audience, your customers at your restaurant, your people, your readers, your listeners, your patrons, your supporters, your fans, your followers, whatever, that some of them, well, some of them are just going to be the Tylers of the world. And some of them are just going to be the people who glom on and say, oh, well, I'm friends with so-and-so. I know this. I know that. And other people are going to be underappreciative. 
and they're just going to take and take and take and just be, oh, whatever, I took. And some are the tech bros looking to profit from it. But there's going to be people who take what you love. They take the cheeseburger you make and they love it. And that's who you have to aim for every time. No matter how tired the critic or the Tyler or the Lionhearts or the Lieberhearts or the, the weird, creepy sex family or the tech bros or the celebrity, no matter what they say, no matter what they think, that's, that's what you have to aim for. Every day, no matter what you write, no matter what you make, no matter if it's pictures of your feet or art or a comic book or painting or Star Trek fandom fan fiction, I don't know. Whatever you make, make it a cheeseburger. Make it a cheeseburger that someone's going to bite into and say, that is an amazing cheeseburger. And then say, thank you. Give and take. Every single non-Margot slash Aaron from Brockton, Massachusetts character in this, well, chef as well, but we'll handle the two of them separate. Every other non-chef or non-Margot slash Aaron from Brockton, Massachusetts character is a tool to serve this give and take relationship. And all the details we get are give and take. Let's walk through this. Each one of the customers in the restaurant outside of Margot is there because they are a problem for chef. They are a problem within the world of the story, but they are also a conceptual problem. And we're going to address all of these things in these two lenses through these two ways. It is clear that let's start with, uh, let's start with the easiest ones. Let's start with the tech bros. They are there in an in-world reason because they work for Varric and Varric is the investor who owns the restaurant. So they feel some sense of economic entitlement and they can just show up here and eat the food. And they think that just by mentioning who they are or flashing some cash, they can buy their way out of their problem or they can have somebody slip them some bread and they can get special preferential treatment. That is antithetical to the giving part of this relationship, but absolutely critical to the taking part of the relationship. In a conceptual way, they're the people who profit from someone's giving without any of the heart. They're publishers. They're people who just look to commodify, make money from, strip the love from, and just have, and just use, and just turnover and they don't even talk about their lives or their families they just talk about their work and how much money they have and how great that is and we're just here to do this while also making catty comments that oh well i've had better stuff from you know my chef at home and they completely misunderstand the giving side of the relationship so they have to die let's jump over to the celebrity the celebrity is there because the celebrity wants to sit in that space of, well, I'm personal friends with the chef. I'm trading on my clout. I'm trading in this abstract idea of I know a thing and I know a person. And so their taking comes privileged. Their taking comes falsely. And that is that is a, an in-world problem because the celebrity is just doing this to sort of 
you know, relaunch his career and win an Emmy. And he doesn't care. There's no soul to his taking. There's no heart to his taking. So in an in-world problem, he's just there to exploit, to go through the motions. And in a conceptual problem, he's there to say he, you know, he's just sort of adjacent. He doesn't look to know the technique, but he wants to just be around it. He's not even a true fan. He's somebody who swears because they follow somebody on Facebook or Twitter or something that he has a relationship. He's a parasocial clinger. Let's move to a different table. Let's move to the, was it the Lieberharts? Anne and Richard. In, a, in an in-world situation, they are regular customers. They've been there 11 times. But they can't mention or describe any food they've had. It's joyless. Even their meal here, while they're sitting and talking, they're talking about, oh, I saw Perry at De Laurentiis. Or they're, they're not recognizing that their marriage is done. Because, you know, Richard is out there procuring sex workers who look like his daughter. In a, in a, in a conceptual way, they're an underappreciative audience. They're not pleased to be there for the 11th time. It's just, oh, we're here, whatever. It's Tuesday. I have a book. I read. There's no enjoyment there. There's no connection there. Let's move to, let's see, what other table do we have? Uh, we have the critic and the critic's editor. The world is full of critics. The world is full of critics who want to use the jargon and the terminology, the the, this elevated language, this need to look for multiple layers of meanings that someone has to, you know, set their Ovaltine decoder ring into place in order to translate. It can't just be this. It has to be a playful, a playful discussion or, oh, we're thalassic. We're, we're eating the ocean. There has to be this extra meaning and I have to be the one seen giving it. In an in-world situation, there's somebody whose words and critiques turn the giver, well, that's more of the conceptual, but it's somebody whose words and critique close restaurants, like we saw on the tortillas. Their words and critique come extra weighted and they're elevated to a position they don't necessarily need to be in as part of the give and take relationship. It's just, we elevate these people because they have opinions. In a conceptual way though, because of that weight, because of that emphasis, all of a sudden they contain this power and they abuse it for the sake of growing their own ego. She can say a few things and she offers Catherine, the sous chef, a chance to get out. Just don't kill me and I'll, I'll back you and you'll be the next big thing. Or I have to sit in the dead center of the room so that everybody sees me and I have to speak loudly and I have to tread on my knowledge. Oh, it's so playful. Oh, look at this. Oh, the emulsion is broken. By the way, in the original script, in one of the later scenes, the critic is waterboarded with broken emulsion. And it's supposed to be a progressive thing over the course of the whole film. That she just, she comments on the emulsion. And then every course thereafter, she gets a larger and larger container until she is almost drowned in it. And then she's lit on fire with part of the s'mores. I would have liked to see that stay in the film. But from a conceptual point, in an abstract point, 
she's turning the giver instead of somebody freely giving she's turning the giver the critic turns the giver into someone producing on not their own terms these are the industry elements in publishing who tell us well the market doesn't like this and here are the trends and by the way i'm an agent and i'm looking to profit and exploit off your labor while doing minimal labor myself i'm looking to parasitically drink your blood and and taint things and it's no longer a pure transaction it's look how smart i am look how much inside baseball i know look how much i get from this and the editor the yes man is just there to make sure that everybody knows that this person's really smart it's a echo chamber and they're all over creative endeavors let's move to our next table who's left Tyler. Now we have to discount Margot slash Aaron for a minute, but here's Tyler. Tyler is that person who photographs all the food when he's told not to, and he knows what a Paco jet is. In an in-world problem, he's also the guy who's told months in advance that he's going to die, and he does it anyway. He's the guy who needs chef to like him. He's a poser. When, when given the actual chance to do the thing, he can't. And so what does he end up doing? Crushed and devastated, he hangs himself. In a conceptual way, he's the people who swear they know the most about writing. He's the guy who swears he doesn't need an editor. Or that it has to happen on his time and his way for his thing. Otherwise, it doesn't count. He knows jargon. He reads things. He's, he's deeply and terminally online. But he misunderstands what it is to give. And when he's challenged to do it himself, he can't. Because he's disconnected from those feelings and those skills. He has knowledge, but no heart. So he turns his knowledge into ego. He pretends. He falsifies giving so that he can just take more. Those are our tables. Did I miss any? Let's see. No. But we go through this, all of this, and then that brings us to Margot. Margot is a sex worker. She is there, and she has pre-existing in-story ties to Richard, and she has an existing tie to Tyler. And she's a giver. And much like Chef, she used to love what she did. She said as much near the end when, he, when the timer goes off and she visits him in the office. She used to love it, but now she doesn't. But throughout the entire film, right up to the time she claps and shifts the power dynamic in the story, she's someone who doesn't buy into all this. Because givers can spot givers. And givers can spot takers, or at least they should be able to. But as a giver, you should be able to know that, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. You're making a thing. And it's supposed to be this way because there is a purity to the give-take transaction. You're supposed to do this with love. She says as much when she claps and shifts the power dynamic. She sees through the bullshit. She sees it's, you know, a plate of no bread. And it's just some dipping sauces. One of those dipping sauces, by the way, looked banging. Well, a couple of them did. I think one of them was like a sour cream thing. It looked rad. But the point is she sees through all the pretense. 
in an in an in a conceptual way, she's a writer who can get back to writing the same way that Chef is. Margot and slash Aaron from Brockton, Massachusetts, and Chef aren't that dissimilar. It's just that we frame one as on our side and we frame one against us. But they're two people who are supposed to serve people, be it pleasure or orgasm or time or affection or a cheeseburger or a play on this or a soup or something. You're supposed to give. And they don't care if you pose the scallop on a rock. They don't care if you take a little Fisker's thread scissors and stick it in a chicken breast. They just want you to give. Did you notice that throughout most of the movie, everybody goes through the motions of enjoyment? All the mmm and ooh are faked. They're performative. But when she bites into the burger, there's genuine satisfaction. And because of that genuineness in the give and take relationship, chef on the other end of, hey, here's your cheeseburger, can genuinely feel good about it. Because givers see givers, and givers should understand. So, there's an honesty there. Throughout the entire film, even though Chef spoke in layers, he's only ever honest. You're going to die. We have to cook. This is bullshit. Here's this pretense. Forgive. Eat. Savor. Because he wants to elevate people. He wants to care. Aaron cares, but she also knows that all this bullshit is bullshit and it can be just discarded because ultimately, whatever, she just wants a cheeseburger. Let's flip to Chef. Chef, on the other hand, he wants to give and he's fallen into this whorish, and I don't mean to disparage the term, but he falls into this sort of like dancing monkey kind of thing where he's subject to the critics and subject to the trends and he's trapped by the ego and the expectation when he's only happiest in the photo and in the movie when he's making a cheeseburger. Comparatively, the most simple thing in the entire movie. It didn't require a huge ensemble of people. It didn't require the sycophantic, yes, chef, background people. It was him and a spatula and some meat and a plate and some cheese and a couple onions. Easy peasy. It's the simple, purest tools that he can communicate and give with. And there's honesty there and there's honesty in Margot slash Aaron from Brockton, Massachusetts taking. And that's at the core of this story. But the fact that he's completely blown out and he's completely, you know, bitter and tired Because for too long, the take and the give have been out of proportion for his transaction. He's no longer there. He's fully absorbed in resentment, has made him angry, and he's taking that vengeance out. So, of course, he has to die. He's the villain of our movie. These are the layers this story operates at. So let me turn the dial. Let me change this and shift this just a little bit. Because I, start, I, I was weaving this in and out of writing. Because you can sub writing in and out for this. So let's keep subbing. Let's see what we can do. You have to understand that if you are writing a book, if you are sitting there in your space and you are trying to be Julian Slowick, 
the chef, the highly recognized, the highly regarded, the, oh my God, you know, you're a big deal. I have my own credit, my own esteem. More than likely, you're not. More than likely, you're Tyler. And I don't mean to say that because I don't love you. I do. I care. But you got to understand, there's an awful lot of people in this world who were Tyler. And they look at Julie and they look at Neil Gaiman, they look at Stephen King, they look at George R.R. R. Martin, they look at Asimov, they look at insert author here, and they're like, I'm going to do that. Because in an intellectual way, they have the ability. They use words, you use words, they use punctuation, you use punctuation. But what's missing isn't just the skill, like Tyler, where we're chopping some leeks and shallots and butter with raw lamb and calling it a day. You know, there's no, there's a little bit of skill. There's a knowledge of what a shallot is and what a leek is and what lamb should be. But it's not done. It's not cooked. It's a plate of shit. And much like Jeremy and his death, you'll never get to those levels. Not because you're, you know, just this ego and the gatekeeping is supposed to keep you down. It's because you're missing something fundamental. You can have all the skill in the world. You can have all the craft. But if you're not producing your cheeseburgers, if you are not loving through your work and you're seeing this purely transactionally and purely, I don't understand what love is. I just like writing, so I write. You're not making cheeseburgers. You're just cooking Tyler. You're just a lamb. You're just making shitty lamb and busted ass sauce. There are too many Tylers in this world. Likewise, there are too many people who care about the critic and care about the yes man and who care about the jaded customer and the pretense and the trappings and the drapings of the stuff. When the entirety of everything is make a cheeseburger, please. I fundamentally and truly believe deep in my deepest heart and soul that somebody who knows how to write a cheeseburger, who can write simply with joy, and yeah, there's some skill there. There's some talent in producing a cheeseburger that's good. But somebody who can do that purely and simply without regard or, or care for the industry or trends and can just produce and just has good amount of skill on top will make a more satisfying cheeseburger, make a more satisfying book than anything else somebody does with a degustation concept. All of these things are designed to make us look at who we are with our gives and our takes. There is no rewrite. Other than, yeah, I would totally have loved to see the critic get waterboarded with broken emulsion because that is both dark and funny to me. There isn't a thing I would change. I'll watch this movie again. I'm going to watch this movie later today. It's damn good. I really enjoyed it. I like the fact that it's dressed up as chef's table with its little bullshit pretense. And Grant, was it Grant Atchitz over at Alinea who's making rosemary clouds of memories? Dude, just make a cheeseburger. And honestly, if that's his cheeseburger in this world, great. More power to him. But the world wants cheeseburgers. That's not because the world needs ditch diggers too, so lower your expectations. It's because cheeseburgers are more satisfying than let's grab a rock from the beach and put a scallop on it with gently frozen seawater or a play on this or theatrics of that. Just make a cheeseburger, you guys. Love what you do.
produce it with love. Yes, the skill has to be there to carry it forward. You know, it's one thing if it's sloppy. It's one thing if it's a mess. It's one thing if you need to build more skills. But don't let the give and take grow bitter. Don't let the transaction fall out of whack. This is a function and this is an issue and this is a thing where fundamentally you can get better at this. You can maybe be less Tyler and be more Slowick. Just don't let yourself on fire on some island restaurant. But you can elevate yourself. You just have to commit to it. You're allowed to be happy making a cheeseburger. You don't have to make the big, giant, complicated, multiple points of view, fantasy, epic heartbreaker. And some of you will never get out of your own way. Some of you will never get past the, well, I'm doing this so I can get a Netflix adaptation. No, you're not. You're not doing nearly enough. Because if you were going to do that, you'd be well on your way. And you wouldn't be talking about it. You'd be fucking doing it. Don't be Tyler. Don't be the, the line, the, the Libra hearts, the Lennon hearts, the, the weird, creepy family who jerks off to his daughter. Don't be them. Don't be unappreciative of somebody's work. It's not just enough to say thank you. Thank you is important. Thank you is everything. But you got to understand what somebody else goes through. You got to put yourself in their shoes so that when things are hard or things don't go the way you want, you don't just go, oh, it's cod. No, it's rare spotted halibut. Somebody made an effort for you. Do something about it. Don't just assume they're always going to. And don't seek to profit from it. Don't just say, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm this person. Give me what I want. It's all about me, me, me. Because it's not. You're there. You're going to eat what you eat. There are no substitutions at Hawthorne. I'm not going to write what the industry or the trends tell me. I'm going to write what I write. I'm going to make you a cheeseburger. Like it, please. You put your guts on the page. That's what we talk about here. Now, I don't know if I've been talking 31 minutes. I don't know if this is clicking with you. I have to assume it is. I am sure there's going to be some people who are still going to turn around and tell me, God, John, why couldn't this be more like some of your other rewrites? How would you write this differently? Let's talk about the camera. Let's talk. And that's fine. By the way, the camera is amazing. The stark use of light and contrast to frame the food while keeping the mundane, scary, and the big, dramatic, normalized is brilliant. Okay? But at the end of the day, this is a movie where everybody has to make and eat a cheeseburger. And we're either making a cheeseburger or we're taking pictures of other people's cheeseburgers for Instagram because we intellectually know, but we don't emotionally process. That's the menu. Welcome to Hawthorne. Thanks for dining. Also, that cheeseburger, it really, it's a little overpriced at nine ninety-five, but, you know, whatevs. I would have gone with, like, seven bucks. But it's a nice bun, at least. Let's assume he spent two bucks on, like, a fancy-ass bun. But it was really good. This movie's amazing. Please watch it. Enjoy it. Consume it. Let it roll around your head. Think about it. Don't blow it off, please. It's too valuable. Somebody worked really hard on this. Thanks for watching it. I'll see you next week for more. Have a great week.